Today's episode of Start Somewhere will be the season finale. It is an episode called Snowlands, a supernatural adventure by Aaron Steinmetz. Kinder could feel the rush of cold air on his face as the sun let out a hiss of steam melting into the ocean. This was the perfect place for his repast, his book by his side, his chair steadily sinking into the slow quicksand beneath him. He didn't mind one bit if the beach swallowed him whole. He felt the vibration of the cell phone at his side and sighed. No rest for the wicked, Kinder thought. In the meantime, a few thousand miles across the country, Sidney Baum came bursting from the bank with a gun in one hand and a backpack full of money slung over his shoulder. The bell was ringing. He'd explicitly told them not to ring the alarm. Why didn't they listen to him? They never listened to him. And a few thousand miles from him, Myla set down her cheeseburger, the Bentley Burger, made by Samuel Bentley, who was reputed to be the greatest burger man in the known universe by Patty Newbank of Patties and Buns Newsletter, and answered her cell phone. She sighed and turned to Sam Bentley. Can I get this to go? In the meantime, a few thousand miles from there, Sidney Baum exited his airplane with the money stowed away in the safest place possible. He grinned and thought, ah, the perfect crime. He gave himself a subconscious pat on the back as he approached a hallway leading to the airport parking structure. Where is he now? Kinder asked into his earpiece. He's heading down the hallway, came the man's voice at the other end. Kinder, waiting out of sight at the end of the hallway, nodded to Myla. They both raised their probes. Sidney Baum was a few feet from them. He could see daylight, see freedom, so he thought, Yes, I've outsmarted them this time. I've got them. Kinder and Myla struck him on both sides, and Sidney Baum fell to the ground, unconscious, thanks to a burst of electricity strong enough to sedate an elephant. Kinder knows this to be true. He had to take down an elephant once in the Indian Plains chasing down Kyle McClellan for stealing three crates of K-576 warheads. Kinder sighed. Myla's stomach grumbled. They nodded, turned, and walked away from each other. Later that day, Kinder finished reading his book to the sound of ocean waves breaking on thousands of years of sand buildup. And that truly was the best cheeseburger in the known universe. The snow fell in his sleep, and the old lonely man didn't even know it was falling. It was so silent, so quiet, as his house was every time he opened the front door. There wasn't a cat to greet him, or a dog, or a woman. There was no one. He sat in his favorite chair with a cup of tea on one side, a bowl of soup on the other, and he read until his eyelids could no longer support the weight of his eyes, and they fell shut. The snow fell while he slumbered, turning the green grass white, landing thick and quietly. Though it melted quickly in certain spots, for seemingly no reason at all where the snow landed, it suddenly melted, here and there forming oblong semicircles of grass where it should have been buried in snow. Dozens of these oval shapes formed as the snow fell, almost as though the ground were heated, and the man slept the whole time. In the morning, when he stared out his window on the fresh snow, his heart froze. Footprints, he muttered. Where the snow had fallen and melted, he saw what appeared to be footprints leading away from his house. He opened the front door. The footprints were beyond the front porch leading away from the cabin. He knelt and stared at the footprints. 
He brushed loose snow into the footprint. It melted to water, then disappeared into vapor. Clambering through the snow, his feet buried to the ankle and immediately chilled, he followed the footprints, his heart racing even as his fingers froze. He didn't care about the cold. The mysterious footprints he followed were small, childlike, and they were getting further apart, almost like a child was running. He ran too, under tree branches that knocked the cold snow down to his paper-thin shirt. He kicked rocks and stumbled over the limbs of fallen tree branches, and still he ran. His skin rubbed raw and numb. He didn't realize he was leaving a trail of blood behind him, the cut small but deep. He stopped in a clearing where the footprints ended. In the center of the clearing was another shape in the grass where the snow melted and dissipated. The shape formed the frame of a child's body lying in the cold ground. Somehow he knew what was buried there. Bones of a girl that would never cool, never chill, and would always melt the snow above it. He fell to his knees on the icy ground, chilled to the bone, but not from the snow. Stinging the back of his neck, the sun burned on Kinder's head as he knelt to kiss his mother's grave. His lips stung with pain against the sun-scorched tombstone, but he made no show of weakness to the carved granite he'd kissed annually for 22 years. He also made no sign of alarm when the cell phone against his hip vibrated. Kinder just sighed as he stood, pulled lip balm from his pocket, and nodded to his mother as he walked away from her grave. Mila also showed no reaction to the cell phone at her side as it vibrated for the third time. She cheered and clapped lightly as the waitress brought her a freshly toasted pie. What's in this one, Mabel? she asked, picking up her fork. The rotund waitress set the pie in front of Mila. Gravy, corn, chicken, sausage, she said, counting off ingredients with her fingers. I don't know, pretty much anything we could find. Long as there's no cherries or apples or anything fruity, Myla said, digging through the upper crust. What's that vibrating noise, Mabel asked. Her voice was muffled by the meat pie. Don't know why anyone would put fruit in a pie. Their planes landed simultaneously in Tacoma, slowing to a stop facing each other. Kinder, a wall of muscle, carried a duffel bag over his shoulder as he scanned the horizon and descended the stairs. Mila was wiping her hands with a moist towelette, the taste of buffalo wings still stinging her mouth. They met on the private runway with snow-capped mountains of granite behind them as the jets began retracting their stairs. Kinder spoke first. How are the meat pies? Mind-blowing, Mila replied. How's your mother? Quiet, as usual, he stated. He gestured them toward a black SUV with tinted windows and a thick antenna wobbling in the breeze. Did you give her my regards? Myla asked. I always do. Kinder noticed the blade at her hip immediately, but said nothing. Myla, as usual, had already begun researching this unusual case. The engraved lettering into its rocky texture told him it served less a functional purpose and more a ceremonial one. It had been carved to a sharp tip, though the edges were rounded. The blade wouldn't slice or carve, but it would stab, and Kinder had an eerie feeling as he briefly considered what the blade had been designed to impale. Likewise, Mila noticed Kinder's clean-shaved jawline. He always shaved for his mother's memorial. The driver sped through Washington traffic as they ascended the mountains with Kinder and Mila seated across from each other in the back. This is gonna be a weird one, Mila said, spinning in a rotating leather seat. The snow fell and melted in a clear footprint pattern, leading to what appeared to be a dead body. Has the body been identified? No. 
It only appeared to be a dead body, Myla said, lifting a finger, in the outline left in the snow as it melted earlier this morning. Another supernatural one, Kinder said with a sigh. Yes, Myla added with a smirk, but on the upside, it's another supernatural one. Anyone tested this guy for drug use yet? Leaning forward, Myla poked at his muscular arm playfully. Come on, Kinder, you know the crazy ones are the best. He brushed her hand aside. Stop it. What about digging around under the ground for geothermal vents? Negative on drug use, Myla said, flopping back into the seat, her long hair spilling over her shoulder. She pulled one leg up and leaned her chin on her knee. And no one's touched the scene, per instruction. Grumbling as he stared at his orders, Kinder said, Not every case needs a specialist. Maybe so, Myla replied, as she stretched her other leg across the gap between them and kicked the sheet out of his hands. But every specialist needs a case. Kinder snatched the rumpled sheet out of the air and glared at Myla. Oh, lighten up, she said, and let me tell you a story. Her name was Constance Marigold, and she lived in the early 19th century. Did she die on that very spot? Shh, don't jump ahead. Constance was a comely lass, a fine young lady who would one day marry and produce several young children for her handsome husband and live happily ever after. Until she died on that very spot? Shut up. Unfortunately, tragedy struck the Marigold family. They were barely able to survive, just toiling away in the northwestern winter mountains on land they owned. At least, it was land they thought they owned. Neighboring banker and general douchebag Mr. Stoff thought he owned the land, and due to some shady dealing, gambling debts, and overall poor money management, he may have had a legal claim on the land. So he, one way or another, either killed or allowed to be killed Constance Marigold, who died on that very spot. Desperate times make for strange bedfellows, and Mr. Marigold, Constance's father, hired a local gunman, the Faceless Man, and he gave him every last penny to kill Mr. Stoff. In the dead of night, the Faceless Man sneaked into Stoff's palatial estate, and was, well, he was stabbed in the back by an engraved rock knife. That very knife? Nah, but bare minimum, it's from that era. No one knows for sure where the knife went, but we do know where Mr. Stoff went. You see, he knew who hired the faceless man, and he stormed through the woods in the middle of a storm and burst into the Marigold shack, the wind blowing out the candles. He chased Mr. Marigold into the night, waving the bloody rock knife. At least he thought it was Mr. Marigold. He was really chasing poor young Constance Marigold. He threw the knife at her, it stabbed her in the back, and she ran, weakened, and fell, and then she, wait for it, died on that very spot. Leaning into his hand in the back of the SUV, Kinder asked in monotone, Mila, what do you plan on doing with that rock knife? Mila grinned. But that's not the best part. Oh, what's the best part? The old man spoke to them from the front porch of his cabin. Hello, I'm Samuel Stoff. Thank you for coming so quickly. There was a chilly bite to the breeze that cut through their clothes. Try as they might, Kinder and Myla never quite dressed for the weather. The overhanging porch ceiling was far above the little old man's head, but Kinder noted as he approached the porch he could probably put his full palm on the crossbeams without even straightening his arm. This was clearly an old cabin, with weathered wooden logs crisscrossing each other at the corners of the building. Beyond the cabin, fresh snow was silencing the world, slowly falling, 
landing on older, solid snow that crunched underfoot as they approached the cabin. But the otherworldly footprints were there, as clear as day, leading away from the cabin and into the woods. Good morning, Mr. Stoff, Kinder said, shaking the old man's hand. His thin skin slid around on his bones, and Kinder took care not to shake his hand with too firm a grip. Mila removed the backpack slung over her shoulder and began unzipping it. Thank you for contacting us, Mr. Stoff, she said as she produced a pistol-grip electric thermometer. She squeezed the trigger and shot a red laser sight at the floor to test it as she said, We're going to have a few questions for you, but if you don't mind, we'd like to take a walk first. See what we can while we can. Go right ahead, Missy, but take your time. Them footprints been there for almost 24 hours. I don't think anything is going to change soon. Nodding at the old man, Kinder turned first and stepped down the creaking porch step, Smila following a step behind. She pointed her laser at the snow and read off the digital display. Twelve degrees. About right. Their feet crunched through the frozen snow as Samuel Stoff entered his cabin. He shut the door, but watched them with tight lips through a window in it. Pointing the laser at the first footprint, Mila read the display. Seventy-four degrees. Well above freezing. What about the snow surrounding the footprint? Kinder asked, but Mila was already measuring it. Fourteen degrees, Mila said, one eyebrow raised. Kinder, this is remarkable. There's no spillover from the heat. The temperature goes straight from below freezing to warm the moment the sensor touches the footprint. Explains why the footprints are so well defined. Would expect to see some calving of the snow at the edges. Kinder slid off a glove, crouched next to the footprint, and waved his hand across it. Doesn't feel any warmer above the... His voice trailed off as he peered past his hand. What? Milo, look at this, he whispered. He didn't need to tell her what to look at. She saw it anyway. The green blades of grass, weakened and laying flat before their arrival, had lifted up and were pointed at Kinder's hand. As he moved back and forth across the footprint, the blades moved and swayed, following his hand in perfect harmony. How is this happening? Let me try, Myla said slowly as she slid off a glove and knelt next to Kinder. He stood to make room for her and took a step away, his back to a snow-covered bush. The snow began to slip from its branches. Myla shook her head. It's not doing it for me, she said as the snow began to rain off the bush behind Kinder. I don't understand. She stood and turned to face Kinder. It's almost like a magnetic force, Kinder said, rubbing his chin. Like a magnet for plants. Eyes wide, Myla stared behind Kinder, her mouth hanging open. Magnet is right, she said. When Kinder met her eyes, she motioned with her head to the bush behind him. He turned. The formerly snow-covered bush had dislodged every bundle of snowflakes, and all its branches were pointed at Kinder. The bottom branches were lifting up to him. The lower branches leaned down toward him, bowing the bush in an almost reverent form. Having noticed the bush, Kinder looked up and realized all the trees around him seemed to sway toward him, not with the wind, but in a circular pattern. It was subtle, a slight gesture of the towering pines, But having seen it, Kinder wondered how he missed it. Breathing hard, Myla said, Why you, Kinder? Why you and not me? I don't know, Myla. 
Let's keep going. It was unmistakable, the outline of a body in the snow, and the grass within the outline slowly lifted from the ground as Kinder approached. Myla spoke first as she measured the temperature. I can't tell if she's lying face down or face up. She lifted the thermostat and read the display. 98 degrees, she said quietly. Body temperature. It was clear from the outline the arms were pointed down at an angle away from the hips and the legs were pressed together. Turning her head sideways to examine the frame of the body, Myla said, She almost looks like she's flying or gliding. If she fell... Kinder said, brushing away a tree branch, leaning slowly toward his head. She would have landed face down. Mila lifted a finger. If she was positioned, she might have been placed face up. If she was placed face up, what do you think? A sacrifice? Mila watched a rose vine lift from the snow and begin sliding up Kinder's leg, its thorns scraping along the thick material of his pants. We should probably get you out of here. In the warm cabin, Kinder watched Samuel Stoff throw a log on the fire, sending embers floating around the stove. The black metal squealed as he slid shut the door. Well, consarn it, I ain't never seen plants behave like that before. Not a whole lot left that would surprise me anymore. You two learn anything about them footprints? It's a process, Mr. Stoff, Mila said as Kinder brushed a vine off his arm and then stepped away from the potted plant. Myla stared at the vine for a moment, then said, We're working as hard as we can. Now, if you don't mind, I have a few questions. Eyeing the plant nervously, Kinder said, I'll be in the car. He wrenched open the door, startling the driver, who sat patiently at his post, awaiting their return. Are we leaving, sir? No, Kinder said abruptly as he slammed the door shut and took a seat with his back to the driver. Shall I turn the heater on for you? Not necessary. Would you like some coffee, then? I would like some silence. Ah, the driver said, nodding. Would you like some cream with that silence? Bob! Shutting up. They're alive, his mother had told him. Plants are alive in more ways than one. They grow in the ground. They're connected to the earth. Even when they're pulled from the ground and placed in a pot, they're connected to the earth. She used to encourage him to talk to her plants, to treat them like pets. He jumped when the side door opened, and Myla climbed in. Time to get going, she said, gesturing to him. Out of my seat, big boy. As he crossed to the other side, he said, Don't call me that. Oh, don't be irritable just because the plants love you. Or are trying to kill you. I really haven't ruled out... Myla, he said in a louder voice. Don't call me big boy again. I'm serious. Fine, Myla said, palms raised. She took a deep breath and said, There's a tunnel nearby. We need to check it out. Is it between the cabin and Stoff's old estate? Yep. The Stoff family squandered their wealth over the years, explained Myla, as the truck bounded over a poorly maintained dirt road, snow spewing out from behind them as the four-wheel drive kicked on and off. They secured the land, and the cabin pretty soon after the death of the Marigold Girl, and no one knows what happened to the rest of the family. As the Stoff money slowly dried out, all that was left for Samuel Stoff's inheritance was the tiny plot of land, and the cabin his great-grandfather had been willing to kill to acquire. Not much of a dynasty, Kinder said. Leaning toward the driver, he said, Pull over for a second. Smell something? Kinder rolled the window down and reached out to some snow-covered bushes. They didn't budge. 
the snow sitting on them as motionless as before. He pulled off his glove and waved his hand around in front of the bushes. Nothing. Has it worn off, whatever it was? Doubt it. I have a feeling it's the area, Kinder replied with a grumble as he rolled up the window. I hate the supernatural ones. The light from the other end of the tunnel was a pinprick, but the gaping entrance was an ominous hole in the mountain. Don't walk through it, Mila said. You won't like the reason why. Thanks for the warning, Kinder replied. I won't ask. Oh, you're no fun. If you want to tell me why, just tell me why. Don't make me ask. I don't know why, Mila said, lightly tossing the rock knife from one hand to the other. Just a feeling, a suspicion. Did the faceless man run through this cave? That's right, Mila said. The assassin with the rock knife ran through it. That matters. Why? Because this cave is special, but only for special people. Nodding slowly, Kinder said, Like magnetic attraction with plants, special? Slapping the knife into Kinder's hand, Mila said, Which is why you're waiting here. With a smile, Mila quickly turned her head to the side, and they both heard a microphone chirp in their earpiece. Mila turned and started walking toward the pinprick of light. She spoke, and for a moment, Kinder heard her voice in the earpiece and in the flesh. Never take your eye off the light. Why not? I'm talking to myself, Mila said, stepping into the darkness away from Kinder. I'm not special, so it probably doesn't matter. But the rule is, you cannot take your eye off the light, or else you'll be lost forever in the cave. How do you know all this? Because I do my job, Mila said, her voice now a cavernous and increasingly faint echo from the cave. The earpiece had some static, but was otherwise clear. Be glad one of us does. The legend says, if you are special and you have the knife, you must walk from one side to the other without taking your eye off the light at the end of the tunnel. To what end? To that end. I mean, why do it? No idea, Mila replied. When it comes down to it, if I'm right, well, maybe you'll have to tell me. So why am I waiting here, then? Because I'm the dry run, the guinea pig. Sit tight, big fella. I'll be right back. Don't call me that, either. Adventurous and fearless. That's what she'd called him. Kinder's mother had more than pride in her voice when she used to talk about Kinder's willingness to dive. Cliff dive, skydive, anything above water, he would jump in head first for that rush, that feeling in his stomach as he fell. He craved it. He felt his heart beat hard in his chest at the thought of his mother, taken too soon, too young. He missed her, more than he'd ever let Mila believe. But why did he cut her off like that when Mila only wanted to know more about her partner? He glanced down the tunnel, heard her splashing through puddles through the tunnel. He saw past her at the pinprick of light, felt the weight of the rock knife in his hand, felt the pull on his stomach as though he were falling. The darkness around the light began to pull at him, and he felt his oxygen leave his body as the darkness wrenched it from him, wrestled with him, as whispers began to claw at his ears. The pungent ammonia pulled Kinder back to life, and he was immediately out of breath. Mila knelt beside him and said, Hey, you're not dead. Had me worried, big, uh, human who hates nicknames. What happened? You fainted. 
I tried checking in and you didn't respond. I might ask you what happened. Where's the rock knife? I have it now. Were you holding it? I was. And I looked down the tunnel. And you weren't even in it, Mila said, rising quickly. Fascinating. Just fascinating. What did you learn? A whole lot of nothing, Mila said as Kinder clambered to his feet. Come on, we'll have to take the long way to the old soft estate. An hour later, they were staring up at a towering mansion, boarded up, all the windows covered in wood. The paint peeled off the edges of the home that was clearly unoccupied, nearly destroyed. Mila shook her head. This place can barely hold up the snow on the roof. There's some activity in town to try to get it labeled a historical landmark so people can restore it. Don't think they'll save it in time, though. Kinder didn't respond. He wasn't looking at the home. He was staring at the rock knife in Mila's belt. Don't move. Is there a spider on me? The knife glowed. For just a second, the engravings glowed. He hadn't imagined it. He stared at the knife and saw nothing. But a moment ago, for a split second, Mila grew agitated. Kinder, if there's a spider on me... There's not a spider on you, Kinder said, approaching her. He gripped her lightly by the shoulders and slowly began turning her. No spider, no snake, nor anything else that might harm you, Mila. He'd rotated her 45 degrees when the engravings lit up again. Well, now, this is interesting. Is the blade glowing? Did you think it might? No, but I can feel it warming up. Kinder pulled the knife out of her belt, and it was hot to the touch. He waved it in a semicircle in front of him, and the glowing stopped and started as it was pointed at the house. It's almost like a compass. Where does it lead? Mila asked, but she knew. So did Kinder. They began walking toward the mansion. The inside of the building was stripped clean, but far from clean. Dust and dirt covered the bare wooden floor that creaked and bowed as they walked across it. Kinder held the knife in front of him, following its glow as it dimmed and lit. He walked with the pointed end away from him, his flashlight in his other hand, his nerves tensed and ready for a fight. Mila, wide-eyed and silent, walked behind her partner as they stepped slowly through the long hallway. They approached a stairwell to their right, cobwebs filling the banister rungs like a curtain. It's going to want us to go upstairs, Kinder stated, and Mila nodded silently. I'm not sure those stairs can hold me. We'll jump off that bridge when we come to it, Mila replied, not wanting to commit to going it alone unless she absolutely had to. They rounded the edge of the banister, and the glowing rock knife indeed glowed brighter than ever when Kinder pointed it at the stairs. He gingerly placed one foot on the step, heard the wood groan and splinter as he brought his weight down on it. Mila whimpered. It might not be able to hold my weight either, you know. Kinder turned to her, held the knife out to her. I'll try to find another way up. Fine, she said, taking the knife. I want the flashlight, too. Absolutely, he said, flipping and catching the lighted end. He handed it to her and tilted his head sharply to the side. The microphone clicked in their ears. Keep your eyes open. I got a bad feeling about this. She patted him on the arm, then stepped toward the stairs. Peering up into the dark second floor, she hesitated with Kinder behind her. Kinder waited patiently for her to build up the nerve. They sat waiting for a moment. A long and loud groan rumbled in Mila's stomach. Hungry? Mabel calls them the kitchen sink pie, Mila said into the darkness. It was the last meat pie I'll ever have, and it was the greatest thing I've eaten. Stairs aren't getting any younger. I'm going, I'm going. 
Myla stepped toward the stairs. They're strongest on the outer edge. I know they're strongest on the outer edge, Myla snapped. Just wait till I get to the top, okay? Not going anywhere. Kinder crossed his arms at his chest. He watched his partner slowly climb the stairs one step at a time. She gripped the banister, felt it wobble in her grip, and then let it go as quickly as she'd found it. Seems like a bold move, Kinder said. That marigold patriarch hiring an assassin to kill that stuff fellow. He was desperate, Myla replied at the halfway mark up the stairs. Probably the faceless man approached him. Still, Kinder said, seems like an easier way to resolve their conflict. Couldn't have been that hard to find. And if the faceless man approached him, maybe he had skin in the game. What are you thinking, Kinder? What if Mr. Marigold had no knowledge of the assassin? What if someone else hired him? Who else? Kinder scratched his chin. I don't know, but it's got me thinking. As she crested the top of the stairs, Myla turned and hollered back. I made it to the top. Care to give it a try? I'll find another way, thank you. Kinder turned and walked back down the hall. All right, fine, be that way, Myla shouted. Big boy! Kinder rolled his eyes as he kept walking toward the front door. The roof above the patio wasn't much of an improvement over the stairs, but Kinder took his chances with it all the same, throwing his leg over the side and pulling himself to his feet in the rooftop snow. What are you seeing, Myla? He said, with only a tinge of frustration to his voice. Not much, Myla replied. The knife is taking me to one of the bedrooms on the other side of the house. My guess is it's the master bedroom. On my way there. Glancing over his shoulder, he saw the dirt road leading off in the distance. The tunnel wasn't far. The path around the tunnel had been long and arduous, even in their SUV. But the tunnel was close. He could almost see the tunnel. Through the leaves and the trees that swayed, leaned in the pale gray light of the snowy day, leaning toward Kinder. He straightened and peered through the flurry of snow, saw the limbs curl toward him. Myla? Kinder, what are you seeing? Snow in the distance was falling slowly, but a small patch appeared to be moving quickly, in a circular pattern, moving away. Kinder's eyes widened when he realized what was happening. A tunnel was forming in the snowfall, almost like a sharp wind that was cutting through it. Something's happening, Myla. He felt a sudden blast of heat pass through him, like the thudding bass of a distant speaker. It took his breath away as whispers filled his ears. Then nothing. The snow was falling silently and slowly filling the void, and within a second, the snow fell as normally as it had before. Myla, check in, Kinder said, but heard nothing. He tapped the speaker in his ear. It crackled and popped, and then he heard her voice. Kinder, what happened? I'm here, Myla. Kinder climbed to his feet. What's going on in there? Find a window, Kinder, quick. Standing in the master bedroom, Myla was staring at the rock knife and turning in circles. The engraved markings, so bright when the wind passed through the walls, now were lifeless carvings in the rock. Kinder's foot kicked the board out of the way, and he scrambled through the window as he found his footing and stood. Myla tossed him the knife. It's dead now, she said. Turning the knife over and over in his hand, Kinder shook his head. Whatever that was, it came from the tunnel. Is it here now, or did it take something away? Her hands on her hips, Myla was breathing hard. We brought the knife back to the point of conflict, then something met it here. But that wasn't the very same knife, Kinder said. Earlier you told me that was a replica. 
Myla wasn't making eye contact. Kinder didn't like it when Myla didn't make eye contact. She stammered a bit and then said, I wasn't sure it wasn't the real thing. There was a possibility, an outside chance. Kinder cursed and stepped away from her. The point is, something came for the knife and we don't know what it was. But we have an idea who. Myla finally met eyes with Kinder and they both nodded. Constance. Constance. Turning circles in the room, Myla was speaking slowly. But she was never here. She was killed by this knife, but she was never in this room, unless... Unless Constance Marigold was the faceless man. The faceless man was a faceless woman. A faceless girl. Myla was nodding. That's why Stoff was chasing her. There was no confusion. He knew exactly who he was chasing that night in the woods. The mansion lurched, threw them to the side with a long, loud moan. The floor's giving way, Kinder shouted over the sound of splintering timbers. Get out now! Unsteady on her feet, as she moved toward the window, Myla hollered, It's not falling! It's rising! Kinder felt the pressure against his feet, rising like an elevator. Wherever it's going, I don't want to be in it. Diving headfirst through the window, Myla slid through the snow as the roof lifted them even higher than the snow rising fast. The snow is deep, Myla shouted as Kinder joined her at the ledge. Jump! Neither hesitated, but a sudden lurch from the roof threw off Myla's footing as she leapt for a snowdrift. Time slowed for Kinder as he watched her falling chest first toward the snow that began to liquefy and then steam. She screamed as the snow blinded her as she fell, landing with a sudden thud against hard ground. The melted snow surrounded her like a chalk outline. Myla! Kinder shouted as giant chunks of wall and lumber rained down around them. He scrambled out of the snowdrift he'd landed in and dove over Myla's motionless body as the front porch crushed the SUV. He felt pieces of wood strike his back, but he held his place until the noise of raining debris quieted. Digging at the snow, he found his partner, eyes closed and not breathing. He called out to her in a voice he didn't hear himself. Shook her, even though a small voice in his own head reminded him not to move her. She needed help. Whether she was dead or alive, he needed to find help. He stood, saw the SUV that would never be driven again, couldn't see his driver, and he frantically ran his hand through his hair. There was only one way to find help, and he turned to stare at the tunnel in the distance. Mark my words, Myla, Kinder said quietly. You will have that pie again. Kinder was breathing hard at the entrance to the tunnel. Flashlight in one hand, the rock knife in the other. Keep your eyes on the light, he said, stepping toward it. Never look away. He felt whispers tickling at his ears even before he entered. He blinked and inhaled sharply, panicking suddenly. Okay, he said. Safe to blink. Good to know. He began moving quickly into the tunnel, through the piercing cold of the tunnel wind cutting at his face. His feet splashed through puddles as he lurched as quickly as he could. The pressure built against his chest, and he felt as though he was wading through water. A young girl whispered, Are you the faceless man? Kinder kept his eyes fixed on the exit, a pinprick in the distance. He felt a cold fingernail run up the back of his ear, and he swatted at it angrily, not looking away from the light. A little voice laughed noisily behind him. You have my knife? And he felt a cold hand grapple at the knife. Go away, Constance, Kinder shouted at the ghost. I have no business with you. It pierced my skin, the voice whispered. Kinder could feel icy breaths tickling his ear. 
But did it pierce my back or my bosom? Afraid to glance away from the light at the end of the tunnel, Kinder sprinted through the water. He stumbled to his knee, blindingly gripping at anything to keep his balance. But he didn't look away from the light, which seemed to float in space. Unchanging, unblinking, it cruelly appeared to be the same size as when he entered the tunnel. He felt a mad impulse to turn and see how far he'd come, but only shouted, No! He was telling himself to keep his eyes at the end, but the ghost only laughed in a voice that encircled him. They called me the Faceless Man, the voice whispered, only after I was dead, but I was still alive when he took my face. Kinder found his footing and continued moving forward, slower, more carefully. He couldn't risk another stumble. If they cut off your face, you were lying on your back. There's a smart lad. You were sacrificed. To what? For whom, you should wonder. Fine. For whom were you sacrificed? He felt a warm hand run its fingers across the back of his neck, and a voice spoke in his right ear, a voice he hadn't heard for 22 years. He heard a woman's voice he'd longed to hear since his childhood, saying, For you, my big boy. Impulsively, Kinder turned to his right, and the rock knife echoed on the wet floor of an empty tunnel. With a moan, Myla stirred to consciousness, turning to her side. Kinder, she whispered, already out of breath. She felt warm ground beneath her, but opened her eyes to a sharp wall of snow two feet deep surrounding her. She clenched her teeth and struggled to her feet. How long had she been out? She called out to Kinder again, and when he didn't respond, Myla found the footprints in the snow leading toward her, then away from her, toward the tunnel. Oh no, she muttered. Kinder is on his knee in wet grass, kissing cold stone, an icy breeze slicing into the exposed skin of the back of his neck like hissing breath through clenched teeth. This isn't right, he thinks. The sun is out. It shouldn't be cold. He reaches out to the tombstone and feels his hand sink through the stone like dry pinto beans. He reaches deeper and deeper into the stone, seeking warmth but only finds the cold grow deeper as his forearm disappears into the tombstone, then his elbow. I should pull my arm out, he thinks, or I'll never get it back. Indeed, as he tries to remove his arm, he sees only a stump long heeled over, an amputation he never remembered receiving. Funny how he can lose an arm and not remember it. Myla limped through slowly. She'd taken her eyes off the light at the end several times, never felt a thing, never heard a thing. It didn't want her. It never did. How far did Kinder get through? Had he made it to the end? Somehow, Myla was certain he hadn't, even before she kicked the rock knife with her good leg. Reaching into the puddle, she lifted the cold blade and slid it under her belt. Kinder's on his belly, on cold concrete, the icy breath still on his neck hissing behind him. He's flailing at the concrete with stumps for legs and stumps for arms. He doesn't remember losing his limbs, but he must have at some point because they're gone, boy howdy, and they ain't coming back. He really wishes whatever's breathing on him would stop and at least flip him over. He'd like to feel the sun on his face again. The old man awakened with a start his heart suddenly beating in his chest in time with someone pounding on his front door. Stoff had dozed off. Wasn't sure how long he'd been asleep, but he stumbled across the living room and reached his front door. He slid open the curtain and saw the woman standing on the other side. What was her name? He couldn't remember, but he recognized her face and opened the door. 
My partner is gone, she said, quickly storming inside. He disappeared in the tunnel. I know it sounds crazy, Stoff, but it's linked with the melting snow prints and the forest and everything that happened at your family house, which isn't there anymore, by the way. Sorry about that. But our SUV is totaled, and I think our driver is dead. I should probably have led with that and learned his name. What was it? Bob? Bill? Bob? Myla? Stoff said slowly, wiping the sleep from his eyes. No, that's my name, she replied. Doesn't matter. Kinder, I need to find him. He's what's important right now. I'll mourn SUV guy later. Kinder, Stoff said slowly. Big guy, didn't say much, hates nicknames. Where is he? Throwing her arms out, Myla said, There's the million dollar question. What do you know about the tunnel? What took him? Funny thing about that tunnel, Samuel Stoff stated. It don't take everyone. Seems to pick and choose its victims. But not at random. Oh, I'm sure it has its reasons, but if it does, it sure ain't telling me. Myla stopped moving, raised an eyebrow, but didn't turn to face him just yet. But it does tell you something. Oh, it sure does. Tunnel can't wait for victims to come to it. Myla's back was still to him. Which is why you chose us, Kinder and I specifically. You might say that. So, what do you have, Sammy? A rifle or a revolver pointed at me. Revolver. I'm not as strong as I used to be. Nodding politely, Myla said, Makes sense. Struggling to roll over, Kinder feels cold pavement on his face and chest. But as the stumps slowly dissolve to his shoulders, he finds it's easier to roll. He's on his back now, and the sun is in his eyes. But the shimmer of cold is on the front of his neck now. But cold doesn't shimmer, he thinks. Only heat does. Then he realizes the shimmer is his own heat, leached from him by whatever specter took him, took the voice of his own mother. Whatever voice it takes, he says as he watches the last of his legs dissolve to his hips, to make me look away. The hissing sound, sucking the heat from him, shifts almost imperceptibly to a long, drawn-out Looking around at his nether phantasmagoria, Kinder has enough sense to recognize a dream when he sees one, decides the cold pavement is a road near an empty grass field, and in a moment he sees one, an empty field with tall green grass bowing toward him. He throws what remains of his shoulders to the side and rolls toward it. The shimmering leech at his neck bites down in a mad attempt to hold him in place, but Kinder keeps rolling. On his back again, he sees red fluid floating up and dissolving into a powdery red dust that forms the outline of a face. It's a small face with a narrow cheekbone and a mouth that could be holding a straw. And when the red powder lands on the eyes, it ignites with a magnesium glow and Kinder smells copper. He rolls again, so close to the field he can feel the blades of grass tickling his ear. The hissing sound dissolves into whispering words. She will not save you. I'll take my chances with her, Kinder replies, throwing himself into the field. The ground slips open like water and Kinder sinks through. Myla turned at last to see the man beside his potted plant holding a revolver with two hands. He was pointing it at her with a steady grip, but his eyes betrayed a sense of regret. I didn't want to make the deal again. Just the Stoff family ain't what it used to be, and the marigold girl didn't get us enough charm to keep us going. Probably because she attacked us first. So the story of her running through the forest is true. Oh, she ran all right, into the tunnel. But she took her eyes off the light at the end. What night, no light to follow, bad timing. 
but she kept running in the other world, through this house and away. And she left tracks in the snow that were easy to follow. The specter has taken her form ever since, and it gets so hungry this time of year. Why kinder? Easy pickings, Stoff said with a shrug. The morning always are. Myla glanced from Stoff to the potted plant, then back to Stoff. But that's the thing, isn't it? I don't know how you learned about his mother's death, but she was buried in the ground, and it's all connected, didn't you know? The vine, so slow at first as it crept towards Stoff, suddenly shot out and gripped both of his arms, pulled them up. With a yelp, Stoff reflexively fired his gun, which rang out loud in bright ringing glass from a skylight down on them both. Myla turned and ran out the front door. The man may have been out cold, but the vines wouldn't hold him long, and she had an idea. Sinking through dirt, Kinder feels his shoulders first, then elbows, then fingers. He isn't sure what's happening with his legs, but he starts swimming all the same. He doesn't need air, he reminds himself. He's not in the world of air anymore. He swims through dirt and is suddenly relieved to feel knees again. He's pulling himself through the dirt, and once he has his legs again, with a shriek of pain, he feels claws digging into the stumps below his knees. They're pulling back, but Kinder continues swimming through the dirt, unsure even where he's going. The razor claws dig into his legs and tear into his back as it climbs up further towards his neck. I can't rebuild, he thinks. I can't rebuild fast enough. The marigold girl will have her meal. Wind was whipping against Myla's face as she struggled to fight her way through the snow. Her hair flapped behind her as time seemed to slow down. She stumbled through the icy white, seeking footing wherever she could find it. It wasn't far, she reminded herself. She didn't have to go far. A stinging blast of air knocked snow that struck her in the face like a sandblaster, and she winced in pain. She was close, but she could hear behind him. She could hear him. Myla turned to see Stoff with newfound strength, storming through the snow behind her with a machete. He was slicing through the limbs and bushes that were reaching out for him. Myla turned back to the footprints in the snow, forcing herself through the wind as hard as she could muster. She saw the gust moving toward her before she felt it, like a wave through the ocean, but she couldn't move aside. She had to try to endure it, but she sensed even before it reached her by the bowing of the bushes and building of the snow that she sensed it would carry her away. Myla held her breath, shut her eyes, and she felt the sharp gust of wind lift her. When she opened her eyes, she realized she was upside down, falling toward bare ground. She landed on her back with a blow that took her breath away. Gasping for air, she saw Samuel Stoff towering over her with a machete blade pointed at her. This sacrifice, he stated as the wind died down around them, I make in the name of Stoff! The claws are at Kinder's chest, and through the dust and displaced dirt, even in the dark of the ground, Kinder can see the outline of a young girl forming in the void above him. Her talons are digging into his shoulders, and her mouth forms a narrow oval, almost like a kiss. And with a blazing hot shimmer of light around her lips, she begins to drink again from his neck. Stoff swung the blade toward Myla, who recoiled, bracing for the wound. And then she opened her eyes when the blow never landed. She saw the machete impaling a trunk of sapling lowered against Myla's chest. Just as she registered the tree trunk, it whipped up slowly, wrenching the machete from Stoff's hands. He stood stunned, turned to Myla and shouted, How are you doing this? With a grin, Myla said, Not me. This is between you and Kinder's mother. Claw-like roots burst from the ground beneath Stoff and gripped his legs, working their way up his aging frame. With a scream, they dragged him into the dirt. 
Myla sat up, stood, and watched him sink through the ground and disappear beneath them. His screaming silenced. Myla now heard the muffled sounds of another man yelling. He was behind her, beneath her, and down. She turned and ran the remaining feet and saw the outline of what had been Constance Marigold. She removed the rock blade from her belt and leapt toward the outline. She buried the blade into the dirt. And beneath the soil, Kinder sees the blade penetrate the earth, cutting through the marigold-shaped void on top of them. Reaching through her, he grips the blade with both hands, feels it pull him up and through the liquid dirt. Hang on, Kinder! Myla shouted as she pulled him up. She saw his hands first, then his arms, then finally his face broke through the soil as it sucked in air and coughed up dirt. He let go of the knife and began pulling himself out of the soil. Myla gripped him by one arm and helped him lift himself out, both of them falling to the ground, gasping for air. They both laid silently on their backs as the wind died down around them and the snow began to fall. Myla turned to her side, saw the snowflakes landing in the outline, slowly turning the earth white, the footprints slowly disappearing with the growing snowfall, and she shut her eyes with a sigh. The next morning... The sun shone hot on Kinder's neck again at his mother's grave. Though this time the sun didn't bother him. He was kneeling in the dirt with a spade, having dug out a small hole in the grass. He slowly lowered the rose bush into the hole and began filling it in. But even before he was done, the green plant began leaning toward him. It pressed against his knee and firmly remained there. No, Kinder said softly, thank you. Back in the SUV, Myla said, Bob, okay, I knew it was that, or Bill, or something like that. And you picked the perfect time for a pee, that's for certain. Let's not do that again, Bob replied, patting the steering wheel. I don't have an endless supply of these things. Hogwash, it's all government money, Myla proclaimed, spinning in her seat. I got a lead on a litter of vampire kittens, and I wouldn't mind chasing them down. After the kitchen sink meat pie, nodding, Myla said after Mabel's meat pie. The side door opened, and Kinder climbed in, brushing his hands off on his pants. How's Mom? Myla asked as he sat across from her. Not as quiet as before, he said, but otherwise doing well. All right. Care to join me for a meat pie? Sure, it's about time I meet Mabel. Nodding to Bob, who fired up the SUV, Myla nodded. All right, Kinder. I can't wait for you to taste it. Please, Kinder replied. Call me big guy. Oh, she said with raised eyebrows. You don't hate the nickname anymore? Smirking, Kinder said. It's growing on me. This episode of Start Somewhere was written and performed by Aaron Steinmetz. In fact, all the episodes this season were written and performed by Aaron Steinmetz, with music mixed by, you guessed it, Aaron Steinmetz. For more information on Aaron Steinmetz and all it can do for you, head over to aaronsteinmetz.com. As always, if you can't spell it, Google it. I mixed all of the music for this season using Magic's Music Maker and their vast library of music available at magics.com. That's M-A-G-I-X dot com. Magic's is not directly affiliated with Start Somewhere and has contributed no money for this promotion. Thank you for listening to this season of Start Somewhere. Expect the next season 